The full programme is now live for Humane, Unmade's exploration of how AI will affect the media and marketing industry. Find out how top brands are already using AI in every aspect of their marketing strategies, from content creation to media planning and buying. Go to Humane, that's H-U-M-A-I-N dot A-U to see the full programme. Start the week with Unmade, setting the agenda for the week in media and marketing. Today, Australia's first AI radio presenter. Junk food advertising faces new crackdown. And the ABC faces job cuts fallout. Unmade. It's Monday 19th of June. I'm Abe Udy and good morning, Tim Burrows. Good morning, Abe. How are you? Very well today, although I'm in, I'm in Tasmania, as the listeners may well know, like you're often uh, based, and it absolutely hammered with rain last night. It was like atrociously, epically <laughs> huge amounts of water around, so I swam to the office this morning. <laughs> Man, I'm glad to be out of Tasmania for once. I'm actually currently um, currently ho- just, just, just next door to Sydney Airport, actually. The moment where I, I kind of reminded myself that I'm an aviation nerd was when I looked out of the window and had the view of the runway and was thought to myself, oh, Hangar 96, that's my favourite hangar. And you kind of realise that when you have a favourite hangar at Sydney Airport, yeah. you've probably um, gone too deep. I think you've crossed way over into nerd town right there, Tim. <laughs> right. Well, nerd town um, is as good a place as any. Uh, where shall we start this week? Well, let's start with uh, an imminent radio launch. You've mentioned Disrupt Radio before. And according to the Oz and the SMH today, they're set to launch nationally this time next week. Tim, tell us some more. Yes, yeah, there is a little bit more on this. So, um, yeah, let's start with the Australian, which has the news that um, they've 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 got um, Bob Geldof announced as a, a. I mean, they're presenting as co-host, but guest really. Um, joining the breakfast show um, next week. That's um, breakfast show with Libby Gore has already been announced as the um, the breakfast time presenter. Well, um, as we've previously talked about, Jules Lund is the um, drive time presenter. So, so this is to remind you: this is a digital network, mainly through streaming. Although it does have a place on DAB in um, Sydney and Melbourne and Brisbane. So that um, that's some of what we know so far. Um, and then the other thing from the, um, the announcements um, or, or the, 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 the news stories this morning is um, this one is crossing over to the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age. Um, SBS World News, um, the person who was their first anchor, um, George, um, now you might need to help me out um, on this one, Abe. George Denikian, is that how I correctly pronounce his name? Do you happen to know? I don't actually know, Tim. Sorry, I can't help you on that one. Yeah, what the SMH has is that he'll be reading the um, half-hourly news updates during that breakfast show, so returning to kind of news reading. Um, But then, and this feels maybe a little bit more stunty, for the rest of the day... Um, the afternoon news will be read by an AI robot called Debbie Disrupt. So I don't know what you make of that, Abe. 
Look, the more I know about, the more I learn about AI, the more I realise I don't know and my opinion's probably going to change tomorrow because things are changing so fast. But I guess I keep coming back to the why. Why are you using AI? Is it purely cost or speed? They're generally, as I see it, the two main factors. So is it a cost thing for disrupt? Is it a f- the fact that they can you know, react quickly? But I mean, if you had a human news reader, broadcasters do that all the time, don't they, with people? So is it purely a cost play? Or perhaps, like I say, it's, it's a stunty thing. It possibly feels a bit that way, but it would be interesting to know what they're thinking. Um, yeah, what they're thinking in terms of why they're doing it. What, what are your thoughts on it, Tim, the AI news reader? I mean, the word stunt comes to mind for me as well. Um, but also, you know, being that it's a digital startup, I, I don't think it can have huge resources. So money saving comes into it as well. I mean, I, I guess one of the questions is, I know, I know you've looked into this a bit wearing your day job hat. How, how good are the voices? Look, the voices that I've seen, particularly US and UK, are very good. Um, I'm, I know of a service that's being developed from here in Australia, actually, but it's got a, a large US client base, very, very small, generally radio stations, quite small, very small staff, very low budgets, but there are lots of those in the US, and these services are being developed for that market, and they seem to work, and the, the owners are happy to use, and the voices sound okay. From what I've seen in Australia, it's hard for the algorithms to crack the, the, the Australian accent. Uh, because there's a lot less, the, the market's a lot smaller, so the models have not been trained. There's a, you know, there's a lot less have gone into it. It will get good one day. Um, from what I've seen at the moment, it's not quite there yet, um, particularly with commercial voiceovers and, and that type of voice. Probably closer with newsreaders, but still, as far as I've seen, the accents still aren't quite there. But it comes back to the why. Is it really a budget thing? And it may well be. But do, are listeners, I mean, are they going to care or are they going to care and think, actually, I, I listen to radio for the people, for the content. There was a big, I mean, I know you talked about it, uh, the broadcasters really putting an importance on uh, music stations, realising actually the content, the bits between the music, all the talk is actually what is going to be what saves us. I'm, I think you wrote about that as a week or two ago. And I just wonder if... Uh, listeners are realising actually the talk is not the talk but it's just you know text to voice do I really want to listen I'm here for the content for the people I just wonder long term whether the strategy will work here in Australia yeah look I guess um, it's certainly you know it's if you're going to look somewhere for an experiment then I guess you know kind of digital is where you're you're going to see that Mm. sort of thing Mm. for sure Do, do you think the station will succeed long term Tim I I have some doubts, actually. I was thinking about this this morning. Um, Given that we are a week away from this launching, I can't think of a national radio network, firstly, in brackets, if you can call it that, that has launched with less publicity and fanfare. You know, as we sort of mentioned, we have talked about it a little bit on Start the Week because there have been a couple of mentions on the sort of on the media and marketing pages of... Sydney Morning Herald or the Australian. But beyond that, I've just heard so little about it. Um, I haven't seen a single ad. Um, hey, look, you know, I, you know, I, I, I read a lot of business media 
I suppose I'm a business person as well as a journalist. So I'm, I'm surprised that if this thing is going to find an audience, that it hasn't been trying harder to find a way of um, actually reaching that audience. Because I can't think who will actually be tuning in on that first day. feels like it'll be very low numbers. But I've just got so many unanswered questions. And I have reached out to them a couple of times and, and you know, I get an acknowledgement back, but I haven't had a chance to talk to them. Um, so I, I, I don't understand what the business model is because I figure it probably can't just be advertising because the audiences are going to be so tiny. So I have a bit of a hunch it'll end up being product placement where people are paying to be featured in 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 programming, which maybe then ends up as podcasts as well. But that's all a guess and a bit of a hypothesis. Um, so there are there are just a whole bunch of unanswered questions. You know, I, I for instance, you know, yes, they're going to be on DAB, which means they they could potentially be part of the 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 the, the kind of radio audience survey that GFK does. But, but are they going to be? Are advertisers going to have that transparency? I don't know. There are so many unanswered questions that it feels to me. I, I you know, I the 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 founder. Benjamin Roberts, like, hadn't really crossed my radar, but he previously worked for Fairfax Radio, um, I think out of Perth. So, yeah, so one of my thoughts was, um, oh, gosh, it's another Perth media company, and they, they, you know, <laughs> they don't always work out, as anyone who's been following the uh, the Market Herald saga knows recently. But, yeah, I, um, a week to go, and I know so little about them. It's just weird. I noticed on the weekend I was uh, browsing LinkedIn and saw Jules Lunds was looking for guests for his show for entrepreneurs who might have an interesting story. There's no doubt Jules is a is a talented broadcaster, and I'm show, sure the show will be great content. But like you say, how does it find an audience? That's the challenge, isn't it? Yeah, look, that's a really good question. Um, you know, that's the thing. They have got a few, you know, very proficient um, presenters. And, of course, Jules having then pivoted from – um, Southern Cross Stereo to doing Tribe, which is his sort of influencer or micro influencer platform, you know, definitely ticks the startup credentials. So it's not, it's not as if they've got nothing. Um, but hey, this time next week, I'll be, I'll be tuning into the stream from, I'll be in the UK by then, but I'll be giving it a listen to try and get a sense of, uh, a little bit more, m- more about it. So, um, so yeah, so I, I I'm not writing it off at this stage, but I think I'm betting against it. Next is a ban on junk food ads on the horizon. Unmade. The fast food industry's advertising is at risk. A possible ad ban is being spearheaded by Teal MP Sophie Scamps, as seen in the AFR this morning. Tim, that would be huge if that happened. Tell us more. Yeah, this is an interesting one. Now, of course, this comes with the immediate caveat that because this is being introduced um, by an um, independent MP, it, to, 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 to go further, it needs government support, which it, it might or might not get. Um, uh, Dr. Scomps is... Um, suggesting she might have support from Michelle Rowland, the communications minister, Labour, of course. Um, you know, the line in the, the AFR is that um, she's optimistic Labour could take up the plan. Um, what she's looking for is a ban on, and the, the 
as the AFR puts it, junk food advertising, what the industry prefers to know as quick service food. Um, but what's that ban between 6am and 9.30pm? So in other words, when children might be watching. Now, it's worth saying that there are already some regulations in place, which is under the kind of the self-regulatory system, which means that um, the kind of um, junk food advertising which, which is created can't be specifically targeted at children already. We sometimes see some brands skirting quite close to that or even going too far and then um, you know, falling foul of the um, the ad standards board as they look at it. Um, but yeah, what we what we are seeing, I think, is um, this sort of gradual movement towards um, what's the best way of putting it? Well, I suppose more actual mandatory regulation rather than self regulation. So, you know, we've seen a lot of pressure on on betting ads at the moment. And, um, you know, this is another another front. And it does just feel like maybe the momentum for self-regulation is beginning to just go away from the industry a little bit at the moment. So so what will come first, a ban on gambling ads or junk food ads? My sense is gambling ads because we've already got both Labour and um, the coalition having a position on that, you know, this sense that there's just too much stuff. You know, something I wrote about briefly at the weekend was, um, you know, last week The Guardian said that it would start refusing gambling ads. Um, But, you know, I was making the point just tuning in for the ashes just this wall of betting ads and that's the issue it's not it's not any individual ad it's the sheer quantity that just becomes kind of relentless and it does start feeling like some form of um of 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 brainwashing so for people who are vulnerable to 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 any form of addiction including gambling you can you can understand why there there are the concerns there and because the industry has failed to act on what the public is concerned about, it does feel that that that, that now the the uh, momentum for regulation is there. So yeah, my bet is um, gambling advertising will fall before fast food advertising. Next, what does Gen Z think about out of home advertising? A new report this morning from outdoor advertising giant JC Decoe seems to reveal the bold viewpoint on Gen Z and their attitudes to out-of-home advertising, Tim. Yeah, look, I, and this, this comes with the usual health warning that reports commissioned by media companies almost always um, do offer the insight that the people they're looking at engage with their product in particular. Um, but at the same time, I, you know, I do... I quite enjoy the ones that kind of look at a whole uh, a whole generation and try to find some generalities about the generation. So this time, um, JC Decoe commissioned the Future Laboratory um, to look at um, yeah how marketers can connect with Gen Z consumers. So there are there are you know there are some interesting insights. Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure once it goes into generalities about um things like sixty four percent of Gen Zs agree that brands should use more out of home advertising to engage with them, and eighty five percent have acted after engaging but 
um hey we, we do we do have a um uh, we do have a gen z uh um uh quietly listening along on the podcast uh in our in our producer um Sajid Alzadi so um Sajid I can't even see your camera you've got it turned off so I can't even tell if you're listening to Abe and I at this point but oh there you are so um so as our as our gen z contributor um let's start with the question um first actually no two questions number 1 do you agree with that finding that um that 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 you think you should be advertised to more on out of home and secondly do you think that as a generation we can um sum you up in one uh, monolith yeah i sort of deplore this homogenizing categorization of gen z's having like uniform attitudes tastes and interests I thought that one sort of amusing point in the report said that Gen Z are activists who live by their values, which is sort of ironic given that programmatic out of home has pretty significant carbon footprint. Um, there, there is merit to the report, though. I, I do suspect that like the positive attitudes of Gen Z towards out of home could possibly be driven by the fact that several years of our young adulthood were spent locked inside thanks to COVID, you know, living in a sort of unreality. And now that we have the opportunity to be out and about, out of home represents a sense of sort of dynamism and energy in a cosmopolitan city and adds a certain sort of presence. So that's possibly why the report shows, you know, Gen Z have described out of home as being more immersive and community building. And it feels a bit actually, while I'm in the new UK for the next couple of weeks, you're, as well as our Gen Z correspondent, you're kind of our, our outdoor industry correspondent as well. Yes, I'm wearing many hats while you're gone. So I will be going to the Paris 2024 Olympics partnership launch at the Opera House. That's being held by QMS. Uh, yeah, so they're going to unveil their 2024 Olympic partnership uh, and they're going to have a Q&A with several Australian Olympians. So that's on the 29th, so next Thursday. Uh, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see what QMS brings to the table next week. Up next, Michelle Rowland steps in on the ABC job cuts. We've seen that the ABC has axed their political editor, Andrew Probin, in addition to a slate of other redundancies. Tim, what is the ABC trying to achieve with this new restructure? Yeah, look, this this is something which which began to kick off during last week. Um, I think we, we, we got the first hints um, the week before when the five-year plan for the ABC was uh, was launched and the accompanying email to staff mentioned potential redundancies i think about four times um and then yeah we had the surprise or certainly surprise to many um announcement that amongst the hundred or so redundancies was andrew probin you know this idea that perhaps the abc could could manage without a um political editor um today's developments which um has popped up um uh, in a couple of the um the the, the newspapers so in the age slash SMH and also the Australian is that Michelle Rowland, the uh, communications minister, has asked for an urgent briefing. Um, so that's the sort of, I think an urgent briefing is what you ask for when you want to be seen to be doing something without actually doing anything. Um, and of course, is you know, it's it's a p- politically um, fraught area to get into, not least because, although. Um, uh, Labour has, has has offered this sort of 
certainty of five-year funding certainly doesn't increase resources for the ABC, which then, you know, as it has been for a number of years, means cuts just because of cost of living and inflation, etc. And of course, the other thing is this this should be arm's length funding. So, you know, Labour or whichever government is in charge at the time doesn't actually get to make these decisions because that's what the ABC board is for. Um, but of course, yes, as as um, the person in charge of putting that money in, um, the uh, the communications minister is quite entitled to ask for a briefing. So what's likely to be the future of their news division without a political editor? I mean, I would have thought it was fairly important to have that kind of that insight. What, what are you thinking of the thoughts of the future? Yeah, look, I guess one of the questions is... The title of political editor means different things in different organisations and in different parts of the world. So in this case, you know, it 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 could have been characterised as the main job being put together um, a package for each day's 7pm bulletin, um, you know, TV bulletin, uh, which... I, I think that was certainly where you'd be most likely to see Andrew Probin, although obviously he'd pop up on shows like Insiders and that sort of thing as well. Um, you know, and then you, of course, you do have, you know, I mean, Insiders is, is the predominant show about the politics of everything. Um, David Spears presents that. He used to be the Sky News political editor, of course, before he came across um, uh, to, to the ABC from Sky News. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I mean, you know, the fact of the matter is, we're going to find out how they manage that political editor. There'll still be um, senior people making judgments on what the top political story of the day is, but I suspect there'll probably be people with a slightly more um, digital first view of the world rather than that kind of analog TV bulletins view. And speaking of the public service broadcasters, we've also had a new key appointment to the SBS, correct him? Yeah, that one came in this morning. Um, SBS has hired one of Australia's probably best known, I suppose, because he's been in the industry a long time, um, sort of players from the from the media agency world, um, Victor Coronas, um, to oversee the what it labels as pricing, ad inventory and commercial technology systems. Yeah, so he, he'd he been over at Magna Global, which is part of IPG. He'd been um, chief investment officer. Um, and that was after a long time in the group with Universal McCann as national investment director before then. Um, and, you know, you can you can just sort of see his... Um, uh, LinkedIn profile in in in, in re- recent months where he's gone off and got done a master of analytics, so becoming much more focused on that kind of digital marketing world. Which I think, if I had to pick one thing on what this means, it shows that SBS is getting super serious about monetizing its streaming inventory because you know we 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 saw how well SBS did with on demand stuff like the handmaid's tale for instance or more recently alone australia so this sort of suggests that in that sort of um what's a good way of putting it maybe premium bvod bvod being broadcast video on demand but that free streaming 
um, it feels like we, we may be just beginning to see the emergence of a premium tier of free streaming. Um, and uh, SBS obviously want to play their role in that. Well, that's it for today. We'd love to hear what you think at letters at unmade.media. That's letters at unmade.media. And we'll be back tomorrow with Tuesday to tackling Australians' attitude towards paying for news. It's a big one. Don't forget, if you'd like to support Unmade, you can become a paying member. Go to unmade.media to find out how. Today's podcast was produced with the usual enthusiastic support of Abe's Audio. See you next time. Toodle pet. Unmade. Podcast edit by Abe's Audio.